Bonchik's Real Estate Investing Podcast. Mr. Bonchik is an attorney, best-selling author, and a real estate investor with 25 years' experience. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com. All right, welcome everybody. I'm uh, Bill Bronchick, and um, I want to talk about tonight the Dodd-Frank and also the corollary, a little bit the SAFE Act as it applies to seller financing. Um, a little bit about me. I've been uh, an attorney since 1990. Uh, I'm getting that crack. Do you hear that? I do not hear that. Yeah, I can Okay, fine. I'll just, I'll just blot it out of my mind because it's really hanging my ear. Um, I've been an attorney since 1990. I'm admitted in New York and Colorado. Um, so I've been practicing for 27 years now. Um, I've been a real estate investor since 1992. So pretty much right from the beginning, um, practicing law. Hold on just one second. I think there's one setting here. I could stick with this for okay. a second. There we go. It went just went away. Perfect. Great. All right, Bob. Um, I've been a real estate investor since 1992, so pretty quickly after practicing law for a few years, I figured out that the real money was in getting involved in clients' real estate deals, not charging by the hour. Uh, I owned and ran a title and escrow company for 18 years, uh, doing mostly investor closings, uh, creative finance closings. I founded the Colorado Association of Real Estate Investors, CARI, in 1994, and I served as president of that organization until 2013, the uh, largest uh, organization in Colorado. In fact, at one time was one of the largest uh, investor associations in the country. And uh, I've done deals in New York, Colorado, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Indiana, Florida, and California. So I've been around the block a few times. And I've done over a 1,000 owner finance transactions, um, both as a principal, as a buyer-seller, uh, attorney, participant, title company. Uh, so I've just seen many, 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 many transactions. And when 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 Dodd-Frank came along, uh, let's back up a little bit. First, there was the SAFE Act, which I'll talk about in just, a, in just a few minutes. And everybody said, it's all over. That's it. Seller financing is dead. And of course, I said, that's what they all said about three-day rescissions and mortgages. Remember, uh, 20 years or so ago, and they said there's a right of rescission and mortgages, refis, um, everybody would would cancel during the three-day period and shop around uh, and get a different mortgage. And of course, that rarely ever happens. So just hysteria. And then when people said the Dodd-Frank, that's it, that's the end of seller financing, it's all over. Of course, you know, I knew that that wasn't going to be it. It was just going to be a matter of wrangling around some rules and some pretty tough ones, but still workable. So we're going to cover today is the overview. I'm going to start with the overview of Dodd-Frank and how it relates to SAFE Act compliance, uh, the penalties for non-compliance for Dodd-Frank and or the SAFE Act. Um, the exemptions, which is going to, we're going to spend a good amount of time on that because first thing we want to do with any law is try to find an exemption and not be in it because Dodd-Frank is probably longer than the tax code. So it's one of the longest uh, 
uh, and largest uh, pieces of law out there. Um, some of the prohibitions that Dodd-Frank covers that we can't do. Uh, and then some upcoming changes, potential changes to the law. Um, as Bob said, it, it's a, there's a possibility that this might get overturned or modified. So we'll just operate as though it's not. And then we'll talk about some of the possibilities that might come along with the Trump administration. Okay. If you have any questions, I'm not sure Bob how to do this. When people have questions, um, I guess we'll do question and answer at the end. Okay, fine. All right. So the overview of Dodd Frank. Um, Dodd Frank basically deals with the mechanics for owner financing transactions. So um, it deals with how you can do and what you can do and what terms you can offer and how you take buyers and so forth. It is a federal law, which means it's the same in every state. Okay, now you understand there might be additional state laws we have to deal with, as I'll talk about in a moment with the SAFE Act. Um, the rules, the, the basic um, me, uh, mechanics of this was uh, issue was rules issued by the Consumer Finance Protection Board, that's the CFPB, and these are basically amendments to Reg Z and HOEPA, the Homeowners Equity Protection Act. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Reg Z and HOEPA. Uh, this is not a regulatory scheme, in essence, um, meaning if you do something in Dodd-Frank wrong, uh, they're not going to bust down your door necessarily and arrest you. Um, it is not a regulatory scheme. It is more of a, uh, uh, a civil remedy to buyer borrowers uh, who can sue you for noncompliance, and we'll get to the, what they can sue you for in a little bit. It, what it does is it gives a private civil action for the borrower. Uh, so if you screw up, the borrower can sue you for a variety of things, but it's not something that you're going to get, uh, you know, fined necessarily or, uh, or charged with any kind of civil or criminal action by the government. Um, compliance is the big thing about it. Um, 100% compliance, I don't even think is possible with a law so broad. And those of you uh, who know about RESPA, RESPA is we just try for core compliance because it's impossible to be in 100% compliance with everything there is. And the same with Dodd-Frank, it's near impossible to be in full compliance, but we want to be in compliance with the biggies, the big overview, uh, and, the, and I'll, I'll highlight the big ones that you have to be in compliance with. Um, so. One of the main things about Dodd-Frank is if you're not within an exemption, meaning you are under Dodd-Frank, you must use what's called a licensed mortgage loan originator or an LMLO, okay? So those are, those are, uh, those licenses are, are issued state by state, where even though it's a federal law, if you're selling with seller financing in a particular state, Washington, California, Texas, and you're not within an exemption, you must use a licensed mortgage loan originator to originate the loan, meaning uh, take an application, run their credit, do their background, see if they qualify, and then print out a big stack of disclosure forms for the buyer borrower to sign. And I'm going to use those terms interchangeably, by the way, because in our case, when we're seller financing, the buyer is the borrower. Okay. Now, let me tell you first what Dodd-Frank applies to and what it doesn't apply to. It applies only when you're selling a property, a residential property, to a buyer 
or buyers who are going to live in the property as their primary residence. That means it doesn't apply if you're selling to an investor, it's a commercial property, or when you're buying as an investor a property with seller financing. It's only limited in scope to selling to an owner-occupant or residential property. That includes mobile homes, by the way. Um, and it includes uh, just about anything that they're going to use as their primary residence. Okay, it doesn't cover second homes, vacation homes, um, uh, investor properties, and so forth. Okay, so if you're not within those parameters, there, if you're just buying a property from a seller, you know, either a seller financing, a seller carry note, a wraparound, a subject to, a lease option, those are not situations that are under Dodd-Frank. And likewise, when you're selling a property, um, a lease option generally is not covered by Dodd-Frank, although it can be argued it, it does if your lease option looks like a sale, meaning you did a lease option for 10 years with a declining balance of payment like an amortization. So it looks like an amortization um, and it looks somewhat like a contract for deed, then arguably it would apply, but your simple lease with option to purchase to a tenant who's got an option to buy for a year or two is not going to be covered by Dodd-Frank. Okay, now number two, the SAFE Act. As I said earlier, licensing of uh, mortgage loan originators are state by state. So each state has a SAFE Act, and this is the licensing of the uh, mortgage loan originators we talked about before, the LMLOs. Um, now, there is some corollary to it. It's referenced in federal law as part of the truth in lending, part of the Dodd-Frank saying you have to use a licensed mor uh, mortgage loan originator. The states implement the enforcement of it. So if you sell with financing, you must be a licensed mortgage loan originator unless your state has an exemption for selling without it. So most states have an exemption. My state, for example, in Colorado, you can do three deals a year, and then you don't have to be a licensed mortgage loan originator. But as we'll discover, this may conflict. This may be in conflict with Dodd-Frank. Now, the SAFE Act, being state enforcement, is a regulatory scheme, meaning if you don't comply with it, someone can, in theory, knock down your door and arrest you or sue you civilly or, you know, give you a cease and desist to stop what you're doing. I don't know how much they're enforcing it or they have the money to enforce it, but in theory, they could be scouring Craigslist for sellers advertising owner will finance uh, and seeing, you know, who's doing it over and over again and saying, hey, you must be licensed to do that unless you're within the whatever deal a year exemption that exists in that state. Um, there is no, as far as I could see in any state, a, an affiliated entity rule, meaning if I had an LLC and I sold three properties a year in that LLC seller financing, and then I formed another LLC and sold three more properties, as long as I went in the state exemption of the SAFE Act, in theory, I'd be in compliance. Um, you know, I'm sure at some point that's going to get tested in court, but so far there's no express um, uh, prohibition that I found for affiliated entities. And again, if you don't comply, this could be something where a state um, authority could 
give you a cease and desist, and if you don't, they could file an action against you to get you to stop. Very similar to like a more um, a real estate license. You know, if you're out there doing something that looks like you're a broker, they're going to send you a cease and desist. They're going to investigate your practices, and if you don't stop or they think you need a license, they're going to say, get a license or we'll get a cease and desist, and we'll get a court order against you as opposed to Dodd-Frank being a federal law, which is not regulatory, it's just a civil remedy for the borrower. Now, just keep in mind, Dodd-Frank has other provisions that are regulatory, uh, but the seller financing thing, there's really not any regula regulation in terms of that. So what are the penalties? Let's say you just blow this whole thing off and what's the penalty, okay? so the buyer can sue you for actual damages, meaning whatever they've been damaged, they think you've charged them too much, you charge too much interest, you charge too many points, they could sue you for whatever is up and above the normal. Uh, there's statutory damages, which means they don't have to prove anything, they just have to prove that you're not in compliance, and then the, sta the sta federal statute gives them uh, damages, including all of the interest they paid, all of the fees they paid, and so forth back, attorney's fees and court costs. Um, now, the statute of limitations is three years from the date of the violation by the creditor, meaning you, the seller. So, in most cases, that's not going to come up. In most cases, if you sell or finance to a buyer and he's perfectly happy and he's paying, paying, paying uh, in the first three years, um, and doesn't decide to cancel it and get all his money back and sue you, you're going to be fine. Where it's going to obviously come up is when they don't pay, and then you start an eviction proceeding or a, uh, or a foreclosure proceeding, whatever it's appropriate, or an ejectment if they're on a contract for deed. They're going to raise it as a defense. So here's the problem. Um, you could bring the foreclosure action against them 10 years later, and they still have an offset as a defense to foreclosure, even though without the foreclosure, they could always sue you, but only within three years of the closing, where that would be the violation of the law by the creditor. In terms of foreclosing them, that's always a risk of a counterclaim. Now, again, back to the practical reality of this and, and, and how much this would come up. Um, if you had a buyer who didn't pay and you went to start a foreclosure, chances are they're going to skip or you can bribe them to get out. If they go to an attorney, and I trust me, attorneys who know this stuff, Dodd-Frank, they're not working on contingency. So if they can't pay you, the odds are they can't pay an, a high-priced attorney who understands uh, all the intricacies of Dodd-Frank. So the odds are it's never going to come up. But still, we have to prepare in case it does come up. We don't want to get caught, uh, you know, with our pants down, so to speak. Uh, it's funny, I, I was speaking at a group in Houston last year, and I met an investor, and he, he had done like 50 properties. And they're all like thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 properties like this. And I said, aren't you worried about it? And he says, look, I have a separate LLC for each property. If they counterclaim, I'll just give them the house. You know, there is some wisdom in that. If you had a separate LLC for each property or each two or three properties, if we're dealing in 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars properties, does the cost of compliance may be, you know, in the long run more expensive than non-compliance. But again, Dodd-Frank is not regulatory, meaning if you screw it up, you're not going to get arrested. It's just a civil action by the borrower against you.
There's also special penalties for what we call high-cost mortgages, which we're going to go into in just a moment, what that is. Okay, so again, Dodd-Frank, not regulatory. It's a civil remedy. SAFE Act is a regulatory scheme under state law. So what are the exemptions? First of all, how do we get out of this nightmare called Dodd-Frank and not have to comply with it? Well, there are two major exemptions that we're going to try to work under. One is called the one free pass exemption. Once a year, if you are, this is very important, a natural person, that's a human being, an estate or a trust, you get one free pass a year. Now, this is obviously aimed at, you know, Joe Seller selling his property, taking back a note as a first or a second. He doesn't want to have to comply with all this nonsense. Um, the only real prohibitions are, one, you can't have a negative amortization loan, which most sellers wouldn't even know what that is. Um, you have to make some sort of good faith attempt to qualify your borrower. There's no guidelines on what that means, but so it essentially has no teeth. Um, and if you do have an adjustable rate note with your borrower, it has to be fixed for the first five years. Uh, other than that, you know, for the most part, you're exempt. Now, understand natural person, estate, or trust. If you're an LLC, and you've got a rental property, and you want to sell one once in a while to a tenant, you're not within the free one free pass a year exemption. You have to be a natural person, a state, or trust. Now, those of you who know what a land trust is, is a land trust a trust within the meaning of the statute? That's an excellent question, and I have no idea. Um, in theory, we could form a separate land trust for each property and sell it and say, this is one deal exemption for this trust, one deal exemption for this trust. I wouldn't bet on it, though. I really wouldn't bet on it. And the fact that they said a state or trust leads me to believe that they're talking about a living trust, a revocable living trust, um, uh, in lieu of a person. Okay, so I wouldn't rely on that exemption. Then there's what's called the three deal per year exemption. So as a person, a state, a trust, or a corporate entity, you can do three deals a year without a licensed mortgage loan originator. However, you must qualify your buyer on, under the eight-part test that they lay out, which I'll go over in a little bit. You can consider past rental history. Um, so if they've been making payments for five years on a lease for $1,500 a month, and now you're selling to them when the payment's going to be $1,500 a month, that pretty much covers it. You've got five years of proof they can do it. Um, but you still must document any due diligence you've done under the eight-part test, which means you're going to have to keep a file on these borrowers and what you did. Uh, no longer, no longer is the old, okay, I'm selling with owner carry, and you got a hundred grand to put down, you're qualified. You can't do that anymore, which is really kind of stinky. Um, if someone has been renting from you and they haven't filed tax returns in 10 years, they can't produce anything that verifies income, but for some magical reason, they pay you rent every month and now you want to sell to them on owner financing and they've got no tax returns, they've got no proof of income, they've got nothing, they've got no credit report. It, you technically you can't sell to that person under this. You cannot sell to that person under the one free pass. You could, but not under this one. If you're an LLC or you got past the one deal uh, per year exemption, um, 
The only specific thing, which we'll go into in a little bit when we go into the eight-part test, the only specific guidelines they give in this eight-part test is the back-end ratio of debt to income, which can't be higher than 43%. Personally, I think that's not a problem um, because when I qualify buyers, when I sell owner carry, I don't go anywhere near 43%. I go you know, three to one, that's the old rule, three, you know, three times uh, gross income, uh, I mean, three times mortgage payment is gross income. So that would be about a 33% back end ratio. So that shouldn't be a deal killer. One other comment I wanted to make here is that three deals per year as a person, a state trust or corporate entity. So if I form a, corp a corporation or LLC for each three deals, am I within the three deal exemption over and over and over again? And again, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty comfortable saying that, yes, you would be if you had a separate LLC. So if you formed an LLC with you, did three deals, formed an LLC owned by your spouse, did three deals, formed an LLC owned by your IRA, did three deals, I really think you can jack this to nine deals a year and you never have to worry about the licensed mortgage loan originator requirement. Um, you know, it doesn't expressly talk about uh, affiliated entities in, in the statute, but um, I, I think this is a lot clearer that it's three deals per person, per corporate entity, uh, even though it doesn't expressly say that, whereas the estate or trust, I think, is, is, is something weak to rely on with a one free pass over and over. So, in most cases, most people are never going to need the licensed mortgage loan originator unless your state requires it. And even then, you could do it without, and you're not in violation of Dodd-Frank, so the buyer can't sue you, but if you get caught by the state authorities and they're looking, they could tell you to stop or cease and desist or file an action against you. Uh, not a big chance of that happening. If you're selling one property here, one property there, you know, two or three a year, you're probably not going to have a problem with this. It's the person who does, you know, 10 or 12 a year, um, a lot of mobile homes. Uh, which is really difficult because given the cost of a mobile home and the payments, the cost of compliance is going to be extremely steep per deal. Um, or if you're selling like a whole subdivision of houses that you built with owner carry financing, uh, you're, you're very prolific in that case. You got a big storefront, you're advertising on radio and TV, you got to really dot your I's and cross your T's here because they'll go after you. Uh, I could just imagine the... Uh, you know, the attorney's advertisement. <laughs> Did you get a bad loan? Call 1-800-BAD-LOAN. <laughs> That's what worries me. But again, I really don't think attorneys who work on contingency know this stuff or know enough to want to do this. So I think really the, this is more of an academic discussion in that the odds of you being in court against a borrower who can't pay you but happens to have a brother-in-law who knows Dodd-Frank and gets a free attorney, it's rare it's going to be pretty rare. Okay. The eight-part test for qualification goes as follows. Um, you have to look at their current or reasonably expected income or assets. That means you're going to verify employment status. Uh, the monthly payment on the proposed loan as relates to their uh, income. The monthly payment on any simultaneous loan, like a car loan or another house or so forth, or a student loan. The monthly payment for the mortgage-related obligations, HOA, taxes, insurance. Uh, any other current debt obligations, alimony and child support. 
the monthly debt to income ratio which we said the only specific thing here that has a guideline under the law is the debt to income ratio can't be higher than 43% on all the other seven there is no guidelines. So these are the eight things you have to show you have considered, which is pretty simple. Just have them fill out a form like a, you know, a Fannie Mae 1003, which has all these things on it. Um, and then try to verify with as much in, you know, information, bank statements, uh, tax returns, W-2s, um, um, uh, recent pay stubs, uh, references. This is it's this it's it's a it's a burden, but it's not insurmountable. Just show that you looked at these at as many of these eight things as you can. Uh, pull their credit. You probably should not just for the compliance, but you know I find that if someone's a phony, uh, their their credit report will tell you that pretty quickly. So I think you're foolish for not pulling a credit report to sell a property to somebody. Okay, so again, eight factors, no guidance on any of them, no minimum that they're required, no minimum credit score, no minimum, you know, uh, anything except for number seven, the debt to income ratio can't be greater than 43%, which I don't think is a problem. So you're probably at this point a little overwhelmed and thinking this is a lot to, to know or a lot to deal with. But when you think about it, you go back and, and, and look at this stuff. It's, it's rare it's going to apply to you. It's only if you're selling to a buyer who's going to live there on a residential property. And it's only, um, it only applies in the situation where you're going to carry it, where you got to check the eight factors. Um, if you're within the one or three deal per year ex uh, exemption, you don't have to use a licensed mortgage loan originator. And by the way, the LMLO requirement is not that big of a deal. Um, I've done it. I've used a licensed mortgage loan originator. I just literally walked down the hall in my office building, mortgage guy, and said, hey, you don't look too busy. What would you charge me to process a seller carry loan? He says, what do I have to do? I said, just, uh, they're going to fill out a 1003 in your office. You're going to go over it with them. You're going to look at these eight factors, document it, put it into your computer, spit out a dozen disclosure forms, and how much do you want for all that? He said, 500 bucks. Great. I pay him 500 bucks and we just charge it to the buyer and add it right onto the closing cost. No big deal. So the biggest problem is going to be finding someone who understands that I got lucky and the guy knew what I was talking about, but you know, you're going to have to go through quite a few mortgage. Now, if you're selling 30 properties a year with owner financing, go get the license. It's not that big of a deal to get a, uh, a mortgage loan originator's license. It's not any harder than getting a real estate broker's license. So prohibitions, what can you not do if you're within uh, Dodd-Frank? So first, um, if you're, this is within the three deal or, uh, or LLC one deal per year, you can't have a balloon. That's the biggest hurdle, I think, for seller financing, not having a balloon. Uh, so you can induce them to pay off early. Uh, because the interest rate must be fixed if for the first five years, and then you can go up 2% a year for a maximum of 6% from the original rate. Now, um, if you charge them 6% for the first five years, and then 8% in the next year, and then 10, and then 12, they're going to refi. They're, it's, they, they're not going to take that pain for too long. So there's a way to sort of induce them to pay off, you know, 
within five years if that's what you're looking for. Um, then they have what's called high cost or higher cost mortgages. I'll go for this briefly because it's not that important, but um, it's the maximum interest rate above market rates, um, also a maximum cap on points and fees that you're allowed to charge uh, as a seller finance. So it's based on what they call the APOR, it's the average prime offer rate. It's basically, it's a running average of, of what lenders are offering. So if lenders are offering 30-year fixed at 5%, um, if you have a first mortgage lien, you can't mark it up more than 6.5% above that. Uh, now, 11.5 is really high. And on a second lien, you can go up to 85 uh, or if the loan is under fifty thousand, uh, you can go up to eight and a half. That that's never going to happen. In my experience, buyers are sensitive to interest rates because they see on TV four percent or three percent, and you say I'm charging nine three quarters. They're just not going to they're going to block at that. In my experience, um, you, it's always better to if you want more payment every month, then raise the price, shorten the amortization. You know, you can do other things to tweak it to get more payment every month. So, you know, in theory, it becomes a high-cost mortgage, which all kinds of other disclosures re required. No prepayment penalties are allowed in it. Um, and there's additional penalties if you're not in compliance. Just don't have a high-cost mortgage. It's, n uh, it's not going to be a problem. Six and a half uh, percent markup for first liens, eight and a half for second liens. And even if you went that high, if you had a free and clear property, just throw a $1,000 mortgage on there and then sell it on a wraparound. That makes it a second, gives you the 8.5% markup, which I don't think you're going to need to do that high anyway. Um, some potential upcoming changes to the law. Um, there is a bill in Congress right now with some uh, lobbyists, some attorneys that I know that are pushing for Congress to pass a bill. It's in committee that would change Dodd-Frank that you can do two deals per month, that's 24 a year, without the licensed mortgage loan originator requirement. That's good. That would be great. Everything else would stay the same under that proposed change, though. The reality is most of us are not doing more than four a year, one free pass and then three other ones. Uh, and if we are, we can form another LLC and do three more. Um, again, unless your full-time business is selling with owner carry 20 times, 30 times a year, this is probably a moot point anyway. Um, some attorneys are suggesting that Reg Z only, which is a lot of this stuff applies, um, is not applicable to anyone who's not regularly engaged in the business of making loans. I've heard that argument, but I don't buy it. Um, there might be some clarification by the Consumer Finance Protection Board about affiliated companies. So far, we've seen nothing. And there might just be a full rollback of the CFPB regulations by the Trump administration, or better yet, they just eliminate the whole Consumer Finance Protection Board. They've talked about both of those options, uh, but we haven't seen a, any action on it or any uh, regulatory, because by a swipe of a pen, these are regulatory things uh, in the executive branch, so he could, with a swipe of a pen, uh, do an executive order that says the CFPB, we're rolling back every regulation they ever did, which would just eliminate everything we just talked about, which would be great. Um, that's about it. This is my contact info. If you want to contact me, if you are interested in, I'll just give you the rundown of what my practice is. Um, 
I do real estate, creative real estate, commercial, residential transactions, and structuring, seller financing. Uh, if you are making a business out of seller financing and you want me to consult with you about compliance with Dodd Frank and your operations, I can do that. And I also set up self-directed um, retirement plans, IRAs, and 401ks. That's my website. That's my phone number. Thank you for listening to Bill Bonchick's Real Estate Investing Podcast. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com.